So we're starting a new sermon series called Wisdom, Practical Faith in the Book of James. Um, and so as we're looking through uh, in this, this coming series, we'll be in James through uh, Thanksgiving. And just coming up with the title of it, sometimes James is called the, the Proverbs of the New Testament, a book of wisdom, because it's uh, short and pithy statements similar to the Proverbs, uh, and it's easy to read. And, and James is a book that's very near and dear to my life, because in my development, um, I uh, would oftentimes find myself in the book of James. Growing up, I, I don't know, sometimes when I do a Bible reading, I don't always have a plan. I just say, where am I going to read next? And if I didn't know where I was going next, I'd often find myself in one of three books, which would be Proverbs, the Gospel of John, and James. And uh, I probably rotated through those three books more than most of the other passages in Scripture. And um, and each of those books has, has really impacted my life. John is uh, the Gospel I go to, and my life verse comes from the Gospel of John. And one reading where God just kind of um, grabbed a hold of my heart while I was in seminary and reminded me of the most important truth that eternal life is not about how much we know or how smart we are or what we gain, but it's about an intimate walk and knowledge of, of Christ. And so John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom, who he has sent. To know Christ it's epigonosko is a Greek word, an intimate relationship, an intimate knowledge of. To know and be known by Christ is the most important thing. So Gospel of John is so important. Proverbs has been so uh, instrumental in my life, and on Wednesday mornings at 6.30 a.m., uh, which is way too early for me, but I'm there, and I don't really start talking until after my second cup of coffee, but... Um, but Proverbs is, uh, what a great time for us men to go through and be reminded of, of wisdom. Uh, but it's, it's shaped my language, probably most of anything that I could say, of the importance of how we use our words. And, and Proverbs such as a well-spoken word in due seasons like a cup of refreshing water on a hot summer day. And uh, how that kind of stuff would just come in and fill my mind of how do I use my words uh, to build up and defuse and uh, impact people. So Proverbs is huge. James is a book for me that every time I read it, it is both, I, I love James because he's so practical and he just, he just says it like it is. And you don't really have to say like, what did he really mean by this? Because he's like, he's gonna put it right there, very practical. He's not dealing with the theological as much as how to apply our theology. Um, it is about living the obedient Christian life. And so I'd read it and so I it's easy to grasp and understand, yet it's super convicting. I don't think I've ever read the book of James and ever walked away saying, I got this, I'm doing pretty good. Every time I read it, I feel convicted and reminded of sin in my life I need to confess, of bad attitudes I've had, of things where I'm not the mature Christian I think I am yet, and I strive for and I go forward. But I'm always blessed by the book of James. One, one story um, that comes to mind was in high school, uh, our, our school CVCA sent a group to the Dominican Republic for a mission trip. And my sisters and I were just talking about our time there the other day. And uh, the one thing that all of us had in common was they, uh, they roasted this bean that smells horrible um, all over. And everything smells and tastes just like that. And so I had a miserable time when I got there because I walked around for two, three days with just a wet wipe under my nose because I couldn't stand the smell. Um, they, they would literally put uh, these beans out on, on the concrete and roast it. So everything permeated with the smell of this bean roasting, the taste of the food. So I ate like uh, fruit and bread and water. It was all I could stand when I was down there. And, uh, and then 
So that was, that was pretty miserable. We slept on concrete floor. I had just like a half inch pad of uh, bedroll and a, a sleeping bag in a hot, uh, muggy climate. And, um, but I was all about doing things with my hands back then. I wanted to be uh, a con- in the construction. I wanted to, to be behind the scenes and build things and fix things. My dad was a mechanic and I would do things in the garage with him and he taught me how to, to just build stuff and I loved doing that. Um, and so I was excited to be on a work trip where I got to use my hands. And I, uh, the first day we were in there, I'm, I'm digging footers and I'm down at the bottom and just throwing mud and I'm just having a, a blast and then carrying the block to the second floor. Just, I love that kind of stuff. And then uh, like the second day I woke up with a fever and, uh, and there's an abnormal amount of rain for the time we were down there and a virus probably washed off the mountains. And I got really sick. Well, uh, of our team, probably 90% of us at some point in time got sick. We had a doctor with us, which was very convenient. And if you threw up, he gave you a shot, and uh, and most people recovered within a day of the shot. I, however, was the I won the award for the only person to throw up after the shot. So, uh, <laughs> so for seven of the ten days in the Dominican Republic, on a very uncomfortable bed on a concrete floor with no air conditioning. I'm sitting there with 101 fever, throwing up and other things, um, and having a miserable time. And I'm sitting there. This is my conversation one night with God. I'm like, God, I came here to serve you. I came here to work hard for you, and now I can't do anything. What are you doing? And I had a miserable night, miserable night, just tossing and turning. And the next morning, I just felt this sense of, like I'm angry with God and I'm very uncomfortable and even as a 17 year old boy I wanted to be home having my mom take care of me when I'm sick uh, because I'm a big wimp when I get sick and so I'm tossing and turning I can't eat anything and I can't keep anything down and I'm mad at God but I I just sensed I need to read the Bible where am I going to go for encouragement in reading the Bible I don't know what I'm going to read right now how about let's go to the book of James And I'm like, all right, I'm going to read the book of James. God's going to encourage my spirit here. And I open it up, and it says, count it all joy when you fall into trials of many kinds. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Uh, I've been complaining. I read through the passage, and I'm like, what are you talking about, God? Like, okay. And I had to repent of my bad attitude. I was like, okay, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why I'm sick. But as I read through the passage we're going to deal with today, it was, God, do your work in me. I can't do something for you, but it's not about what I can do. It's about what God does. It's a defining moment for me in my life out of this book. And so I'm excited to spend some time in the book of James with you. And uh, for that's a personal introduction. The book of James is written by uh, James, the brother of Christ, the half-brother of Jesus. There's uh, five James in the New Testament. I won't go into all all the reasons why we think it's um, not the other ones. But the half-brother of James is mentioned a couple times. And I think it's uh, significant as we consider this book that James lived with Jesus Christ his entire life. And could you imagine being the little brother of Jesus? Um, why can't you be more like Jesus? God's still asking us that every day, right? Like, so why aren't we more like Jesus? But James lived in such close proximity to his brother, um, and he denied the fact that he was the Messiah. He rejected the fact that he was the chosen one. The entire ministry of Jesus, as he would go and preach and teach, James just, well, there's my brother doing his thing again. You know, he did not believe that Jesus was the Christ until after the resurrection. In Acts 15, it says in verse 7 specifically that Jesus appeared to James. Can you imagine that? That, that, um, 
brotherly love. Sorry. Jesus took time to meet his brother after the resurrection. And uh, that human connection, that relationship, and James was changed. James went from denying his brother the Messiah to, to earning the nickname Old Camel Knees because he spent so much time in prayer that his knees hardened like a camel's expression, as tradition says. James gave his life for his belief in 62 AD. And so the book we're about to read is a book that was written in the early 40s, probably 42 AD. Um, and and it, it's helpful to think about these things because at that time in Jerusalem, there still would be temple worship. Temple sacrifice would have still been happening. Um, this would have been before Paul's missionary journeys. Um, and the Gentile believers would not have been a, a major part of the church at this time. And so it's good for us to consider what, that, what that's talking about. And he's, and he's talking to believers, uh, Jewish believers that are part of the diaspora. They, they were spread out all throughout uh, the Mediterranean outside of the land of Judah, Judea. And so it's good for us to think through that the brother of Christ is writing this to uh, believers that are scattered abroad. So let's uh, uh, read our chapter for today, our, our portion for today, and... Um, so if you have your Bibles, James chapter 1, we'll be in 1 through 8. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for this morning. I entitled... Uh, this, this passage today, Game Planning for Joy. James 1 through Game Planning for Joy. So uh, currently we're in the middle of the volleyball season. I coach middle school volleyball, eighth grade uh, girls volleyball, um, and I've been doing this my fourth season, and I love coaching. I just wish I would have gotten to coaching a long time ago because it is uh, a great joy um, <clears throat> and a great source of frustration at times. But, um, but it is something that in studying James has reminded me of times where that when I get frustrated coaching, that I'm, I'm losing perspective. Because um, the job of a coach is to um, educate, empower, and, and, and um, enlist players to do what they, they need to do. And when they're not, like, um, you know, the coach is supposed to be the one who knows what things that are down the line and how to get the players there. And so when they're not getting there, it's a, it's a time for me to help them mature as players. Uh, that they need to grow, and I need to figure out how I can get them to connect the dots to get to that mature player that I want them to be. And I see James as a coach here this morning talking to us. He is uh, a more spiritually mature. I would say he hasn't arrived because he wasn't in heaven yet. Um, none of us will, are, are there, but James is writing. He had grown to um, a, per, a place of influence over the Jerusalem church, the head of the Jerusalem church, and later on we see he is sought out in the Jerusalem council by Paul um, as he begins his ministry. Um, but uh, James is, is, uh, has become a leader and one who, um, who was very passionate about his faith, and he wanted to help the, the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. And, and most likely he was writing very much to the, the literal um, 
Jewish people scattered abroad, but also there's a sense of uh, all of us, uh, the people of God, are scattered um, around the world uh, waiting for Christ to return, that we are in a place of, of separation from our Savior, separation from our homeland in heaven, that we are citizens of, a, of, a, of heaven, not of this earth. And so as aliens and strangers in this world, how are we to live? And if we consider the specific Jewish people at the time who were believers, uh, they would have been rejected by the Gentile countries they lived in because they were Jewish. But as Jewish believers who believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, they would also have been rejected by their countrymen. And, uh, and so there was no place that they found they belonged except for the promises of Christ that there is a city that they looked forward to. And so that's a good reminder when we're living in a world where we're continually seen as outcasts and we don't fit in according to the world's standards but God has a plan and he is calling us to live with it and so James begins with this like a good coach he said start with the fundamentals start with the fundamentals James he says a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ there is so much in this statement uh, that he is saying to begin his treaties on being mature and following through with things and how to live out your faith first off he does not take the position of James, the brother of Christ, you should listen to me, I grew up with the man. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say James, the apostle. He doesn't say James, the disciple, the James, the, the head of the Jerusalem church. He says, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase here, uh, other places says a servant of God, uh, but to say a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is pretty unique to James. And he makes um, the fundamental things he's staying, saying here is that the Lord Jesus Christ and God are co-equal. He places them at the same level. It's a declaration of the deity of Christ. The term Lord here is the, the word that was used to translate the, the Hebrew word Yahweh, the name of God, the Lord, that it is consistent that he is the great I am. He is equal with God and he is the Christ or Hebrew Messiah. He's the anointed one, the chosen one, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament was pointing to is this man Jesus Christ. And James is saying, I'm, I have to declare this and I have to say that right now. Now, interesting enough, in the first um, century, it was illegal for them to say Jesus is Lord. Caesar was Lord in that day. And to say Jesus is Lord could cost them their life. And so when we say that, when we look at that, we don't feel that today. We don't feel like, oh, if I say this, that I could lose my job, I could lose my family, I could lose my life because of declaring Jesus as Lord. But it is important to identify that when they're scattered abroad in a foreign land where their livelihood, their very lives and their families um, could, were at risk by declaring their faith. And you wonder why the gospel spread all over is because people took their faith seriously and they went and spread it and continued to spread it because it started with the fundamentals Jesus is Lord he is God he is the author and creator of life he is the one with the plan he is the resurrected Lord he did not stay dead but he's alive and he has commissioned us to be his ambassadors in this world so he starts off with the fundamentals and if you don't have that straight in your heads then you're not going to be able to do the rest like you have to know who Jesus Christ is that he is the son of God, that he came to this earth as a human baby. He grew up and lived a perfect, sinless life in complete fulfillment of the law, something you and I cannot do on our best day. He did. When we are unfaithful, he is faithful still. And because of his perfect, sinless life and because he could keep the law, he became the perfect sacrifice for sin. 
And when he shed his blood on that cross, it covered our sin, it paid for our sins, and the resurrection demonstrated that the check cleared, that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf for those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved, and they are given the power to be called the children of God. And so here we have people who believe this, who are scattered abroad, who believe they are children of God, who believe in the risen Lord, how do they then live? And you can see that James is dealing with um, a church that is spread out, but also has problems. If we look out of the American church today or the church across the world today, we can point out a lot of problems. And guess what? There's nothing new to that since day one of the church because sinful human beings are part of the church and we always have problems wherever we go. And uh, some say, you know, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. But um, you'll never find the perfect church. There's always things that, um, that, that are hard uh, but you can find mature churches, that churches where people know how to work through conflict, uh, places where people know how to come together, love each other as the family of God, and how to love the community as a family of God. That's what we seek to be here at Lakeside, that we are a church that loves God, that we care for people, that the care part is internal, that we care for one another, and I think we do that very well, and we communicate his message to the world. And I think Reach Sunday demonstrates our hearts are, and our minds are in that spreading the message throughout the world. Uh, and so, but James is, is writing, as we go through this, you're gonna see just different issues and issues that they're dealing with all over the place. And so he's addressing, like, we gotta, we gotta live above this and beyond this. We need to let these things go, and how do we do that? And he starts the book with really uh, giving us the pace of how, how do we go from the fundamentals uh, to the court and play it. So the second point is, yeah, start with the fundamentals, know the playbook. Know the playbook. He says this, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So he says count, count or consider or evaluate. It's a, it's a financial term to evaluate the numbers and crunch the numbers and figure things out. It's a um, count it all joy. Now he's not saying in this, when we look at it, he's not saying um, be joyful because of the pain, be joyful because of the suffering, be, be joyful because of the bad things that are happening around you. That's not right. He's, uh, he's pointing beyond that, like evaluate the process, know the end goal, and then consider what you're facing and what it's about to do in your life and be joyful because of that. If we consider um, Jesus Christ himself, it says, uh, we look unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. The joy was not um, getting nails in his hands and feet. The joy was not being scourged or shedding his blood or dying. That wasn't what he was joyful about. The joy he was um, focused on is the glory of the Father and the, his church joining him one day in his presence in heaven with his Father and the Spirit in complete unity. That, that there is a greater thing that I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm, I can endure the cross because I'm gonna do this for all these people and it's gonna be amazing then. And I, similarly, like we can endure things now when we focus on the prize after. So it begins with what you know, know the playbook. It says, for you know, for you know, your knowledge. Knowledge is so important. This is why later James would say, say uh, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You have to know the word. You have to be entrenched in the word so that the word can influence what's going on in your life. If you don't know what God's doing or who God is, and you don't know the word very well, 
you will miss out on, on things. Um, <clears throat> Warren Worsby says this, there is no substitute for an understanding mind. Satan can defeat the ignorant believer, but he cannot overcome the Christian who knows his Bible and understands the purposes of God. When we don't know what God's word says, we are susceptible to temptation and trials and failure, failure and we lack that power that the Spirit gives um, when we're ignorant of what God's doing. But we need to immerse ourselves. The, the children's songs, read your Bible and pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It's so true. It's simple formula, hard to live out every day. But it is going to our creator and saying, what do you have for me today? And then talking to him about that every day and praying for the people around us every day and watch how that goes. And the one thing I would add to this song is spending time in God's word, spending time in God's, with, with God in prayer and spending time with God's people. It's so important. You need other believers in your life and that's why we gather together uh, <clears throat> in this time. But it says, the knowledge that we have, and we are calling this series wisdom, knowledge applied is wisdom. You just can't know a bunch of things. You have to, you have to apply it. It has to be lived out for it to be wisdom. Uh, and, and we always need to grow in wisdom. But it says, um, so taking what we know about God, who he is, what he's done, what he promises, and then consider what's going on in our life. Uh, we, so if we begin with our knowledge and we see that the goal is steadfastness or patience or uh, perseverance uh, in trials. Okay, so here's the goal. Then we, when we look at trials, then we can begin to uh, understand how we should respond in them. As a coach, again, uh, if I just do random drills, sometimes I, my players get frustrated because they don't know why we're working on certain things. But when I stop and say, hey, the reason we're doing this is so during a game, you can do that. And then the light bulb clicks on, oh, okay, we can do that. Um, it makes more sense when they have an understanding of what we're trying to achieve than when we're not trying to achieve it. So, so God's not holding back from us. He delights to tell us what he's doing and why he's doing it. And he's try, seeking us to be uh, mature believers and produce perseverance and steadfastness in our lives. And so he tests our faith. So again, when we start with our knowledge and we start with the end results, we begin to be able to evaluate what's going on and say, hey, if this is what's happening, I can be joyful and count it joy that I will be conformed more to the image of Christ because of this event. Uh, I think John Piper um, wrote an article, a book that says, uh, like, don't waste your cancer. He's like, you have an opportunity through this and you know he he has had struggles in his life but others is just like an opportunity to allow God to shape you help you loosen your grip on the temporal and ready to receive the eternal and that's what we need in everything and cancer is one of the trials we face uh, the pandemic is something we're facing right now and is it's opportunity for us to cling tightly to this world and fight all these things or we can begins to say, you know what, this, this world is fleeting, this time is fleeting, and I'm, I'm letting go of the temporal, I'm holding on to eternal because God is still God. You know, we're coming into a time where 
some of the trials and temptations we're facing is a, uh, a time of election and everybody likes to divide and argue and debate on that. I was sitting with a friend of mine not too long ago and she was extremely fearful about the coming um, months and then what's gonna happen in the election and she's like, aren't you afraid? I'm like, I'm not. And uh, like, aren't you concerned this person or that person will win? I'm not concerned. I have my political beliefs but I'm not worried about it because the risen Lord is still on the throne. Uh, it says that no power is given to any human power except for what God gives them. It's what Jesus said to Pilate. And then Daniel says that God raises up kings and he removes kings. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God moving and pagan and believers alike, setting nations against nations for his purpose, working his plan. And if I'm a student of the word of God, I can look at all that Look at the faithfulness of my heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ, and the movement of the spirit throughout history. Why do I worry about something that is only gonna last for a short time? I don't have to worry. I, you could choose to worry about it, but it's not gonna change things on a grand scale. But God says, I'm here for you. I got this. Why are you worrying about it? You know. And then there's daily things that we face, whether it's work, family, relationships, sin struggles that we're, we're continuing to struggle and this word here for trial and temptation is a very nuanced word but understand this a temptation doesn't turn to sin until you give into it it's a test up until the point you decide to say I give up and I'm going to choose sin so when you're in class at school and you spend all the time learning and gaining knowledge and then you're given quizzes or tests or examinations or essays or, or projects you take the knowledge you've been learning and then you have to prove that you actually know it and apply it, right? And then we all had to do that in order to graduate and continue to move on and, and we face similar testings. In our spiritual life, God is continually doing that where he's bringing things into our life to say, hey, you've been learning this, are you gonna apply it? And the thing is, if we don't apply it, we have to keep going through similar trials and afflictions until we finally learn. And, uh, and, and so, God, like, we can be good students and quick learners, or we can be, a, it said, what, what did it say to Paul? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. We can kick a lot. We can fr be frustrated. But the thing is, if you're a child of God, he will never give up on you, and he will continually draw you into um, a relationship with him, a deeper walk with him. J.C. Ryle says this about in his uh, <clears throat> treatise, Learning God's Purpose of Affliction. Affliction is one of God's medicines. By it, he often teaches lessons which would be learned in no other way. By it, he often draws souls away from sin and the world, which would have otherwise perished everlastingly. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is greater. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what all, nat all naturally desire, but losses and crosses are far better for us. If they lead us to Christ, they are far better for us if they lead us to Christ. Thousands at the last day will testify with David, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, Psalm 119.71. So he's, he's saying here that it is better for us to go through the trial and consider the outcome that it is helping us to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be mature believers, because it said this, he does a play on words here. He says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and then he goes right back into it, and steadfastness 
Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Uh, Perfect here does not mean that you are without sin and you never make a mistake. Perfect means to be mature, um, to... uh, to have discernment, to, to know how to go through things. But the playbook we're given here is not normal. It doesn't come easily. It's not um, a hum- the natural human response to things. It's not what our world tells us how to deal with trials. We are so prone to seek comfort and escape from any kind of trials that we oftentimes miss what's happening there, and we, we circumvent that. And, uh, and here it's the, it is go through the trial and understand the trials are gi- given to us to see God clearer, to see um, what we hold on to. Um, and they come in, again, all different shapes and forms. Here He says, years ago, Peter preached a sermon and he said this, are you prepared for persecution when it comes in the form of prosperity? <clears throat> and I think the, the American church in particular, that one hits all of us, because the poorest in America is still in the top 10% wealthiest people in the world. I've been to one of the poorest places, two of the poorest places in the world. I've seen extreme poverty. And so when I come back to America, you know, I go there and I come back, I'm like, oh, I can be a minimalist. I can be done. Like, I, I'm so selfish. I'm going to give everything away and come back. And, and lo and behold, just a few weeks later, I'm just like back to my normal routine. I'm, you know, supposed to have a a rule for myself. If I buy a new shirt, I give away a shirt. If I buy a new cup, I give away a cup. You know, it's the, the replacement. But what ends up happening is things just keep gathering. Um, and I don't find myself a particularly materialistic person, but when then I begin to look at it, um, I like the comforts of this world. I really don't like going through hard times. Um, and we've got to be careful about that comfort zone. The trials of God are to push us past our comfort zone. The trials of God are to refine our, our life and our, our perspective and our souls so that we can be perfect and complete. Uh, and also it says, let not the steadfast, let, let steadfastness have its full effect. If you, if you give up too soon, you're gonna miss the blessing. You're gonna miss the lesson. And, um, and so I wanted to show this brief video of the importance of steadfastness and perseverance. What, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. (laughs) 
That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your buddy to find more strength. But don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. It hurts. And let it burn. It hurts. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. So will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Rock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Hurts. Can I count on you? Yes. So there's so many things in this video that I think Coach James would want us to see. Um, that don't give up, give your best. God is working and doing things far beyond what you can imagine. And uh, when we don't give up, do you see the inspiration for others by his perseverance, by his steadfastness, that people were in awe of what he was doing. 
as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we count it all joy, when we face trials and we go through something, but our mature response to it of God's got this, I don't have to worry, it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean that we're going to struggle at times. But we do it in a way that causes people to say, hey, what, what's going on? Like, how, how can you have this perspective? Um, and little Jada Rumble taught me a lot about that when she was going through her cancer. And, uh, and she would say things like uh, to the nurses come in, hey, did my dad tell you about Jesus yet? <laughs> um, and, and led a lot of people to see God clearer because of her pain and her suffering. And so there's a lot that we can, we can learn from this. Now, I, I've talked a lot about the, first, the second point, and so just briefly, um, to, in closing, the last point here is uh, ask coach. This, this way of doing things isn't the normal way. That's not the way we, in, in, in grain, like we grew up thinking or um, that our world teaches us. It's counterintuitive to the human mindset because it's a supernatural way of looking at things. It's the Christian perspective of trials and suffering. And so we have to um, recognize that we lack wisdom when it comes to that. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and will be given him. Like uh, one of my... <clears throat> Coaching philosophies, as I tell my girls, is I don't care if you make mistakes. What I care is what you do with it after it. I don't want my players on the court to be afraid to make mistakes because they they're not trying if they're not making mistakes, but what they do next determines whether I, what I need to say. And then I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, I'm here for you if you need help with that, but I want to see you think through it. I want to see you process it. I want to see them mature as players in their understanding of the game. And, uh, and I don't like, play, like coaching philosophies where the kids are afraid to, to make mistakes and they're constantly looking at coach, constantly, constantly. Like, uh, I'm not doing a good job if they're, if they're so confused out there they don't know what they're supposed to do. But I'm here for them to catch them when they don't have all the answers. And, uh, and so that's, I think, what's going on here. When he talks about wisdom, wisdom in general, I think this applies for everything. But specifically in trials right now in our lives, in the struggles, in the sufferings we're facing, if we lack wisdom on how to count it all joy, we have a coach in our Heavenly Father who is very gentle, loving, caring, and will provide, and he will give uh, that to us. He will give us that wisdom. He will help us take the knowledge we have of him and see how to apply it and live it out in our lives. But we have to go to him in faith and not doubting him, not wavering, um, but we, we do have to count the cost too because it's gonna affect change. And as we go through James, we're gonna be hit over and over and over again with things that we need to change in order to conform into the image of Christ. And, uh, and we have to say, is it worth it? Like, am I going to give up this so I can gain more of Christ and more of the wisdom of God uh, or not? And I pray that you don't waste this sermon series and that we're all better for it, that we all count the cost and we all find radical change in our lives because of what God is doing. Because we're taking the word and we're hearing it and we're doing it, not just hearing you know, we have to allow it to affect change. And so, let's 
ask God for wisdom. Let's ask God to help us see clearly. And I can tell you, I know from personal experience that suffering, trials, and tribulation are blinding and deafening, and it's hard to see God in those places. But God is faithful. And just like my self-pity party in Dominican Republic years ago where I was mad at God, and the next morning he gently, somewhat not so gently, woke me up and said, Brad, you have a lot to repent of. You're not God. I am. You can trust me. Are you willing to? Are we willing to let go of the temporal and be ready for the eternal? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you thanking you so much for your servant, James, one who years ago understood the importance of starting with Christ, lifting up Christ, that, that Jesus Christ is God, that he is Lord and he is the anointed one. And because he is risen and he has given us the power of the resurrected life through the spirit, Lord, and then he calls us to reflect the image of, of God in this world. Lord, that we will face trials. And so I pray, Lord, that we would count, uh, evaluate it, to consider it, to understand that you are working in ways we can't imagine and conforming us into your image, uh, Lord, for our good and for your glory. So, Lord, I pray right now if anybody here, well, I know all of us here in some sense are going through trials, but, Lord, there are some who are in specific suffering and specific trials. I ask for your wisdom, that your spirit would comfort them, embrace them, and, and lead them into an understanding of who you are in this moment, the gifts that you've given them for this moment, the, the present that you, presence of yourself there, there, Lord, that they would see the reward and rejoice in what you are doing, even though the current situation is difficult. Lord, we know that you are with us through your son, Jesus Christ, and the spirit, and so we ask, Lord, that as we... Um, just close our time, Lord, that we would be reminded of the fundamentals of knowing our playbook and that you are there as our coach, ready to give us answers. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can stand.
That's so true. He is Lord of all, Christ alone. You know, my, uh, my family's here, so if you get a chance to say hi afterwards, my brother influenced me in coaching tremendously as my big brother influenced me. I thought, what better way to conclude for our benediction than James' little brother, Jude, says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.